Today we will be studying from Exodus chapter 20 in God's word. Exodus chapter 20 beginning in verse 18. If you will turn there in your Bibles. Exodus chapter 20 beginning in verse 18. And we will actually move through all the way through verse 22 here. I have 21 in your bulletin. I want to remind you of where we are before we read this because otherwise uh, it won't make sense. God has now rescued Israel from their slavery in Egypt. God has led the people of Israel to Mount Sinai. And there God descended on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, in thick smoke, lightning and thunder, fire, and even supernatural trumpet blasts. This was, of course, signifying, these trumpet blasts signifying the presence of royalty. And as commanded, the people of Israel come to the foot of the mountain. Moses tells them, all right, let's go forward. And they they go forward. But then the unthinkable happens. God speaks in the hearing of all of Israel, giving them these most foundational Commands these Ten Commandments that we've been studying for the last couple of months. And so now before we even read this, I want to prime your minds by asking this. How would you respond if you were an Israelite there before the mountain? What would be your reaction if you weren't just reading about it, but you were actually standing at the foot of this mountain covered in smoke and fire and thunders and lightnings and trumpet blasts, and then the mouth of God speaks. Now, I'll tell you, the more courageous among you may not be very impressed with how Israel actually does respond. You know, you might kind of actually think they're cowardly, for the way that they respond in this moment. We like to think, oh, I'd stand there boldly. But before we even read our main text to see exactly how they responded, I want to show you uh, what God thinks about their response. This is just helpful because, you know, how to, not everything that happens in the Bible is something we should imitate, right? Not every example is a good example. But God actually approves of, delights in the way that they responded. We see that in Deuteronomy 5. So Deuteronomy is uh, second law, the second giving of the law. This is before they actually enter the promised land. And so Moses is recounting, here's what has happened to us, Israel. And so he recounts the Ten Commandments. And then he says how they responded. And then Moses says this in verse 28, Deuteronomy 5. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. So this is in response to the, the Sinai events there. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. I mean, that, that's interesting. God not only approves of, you know, what, the way that they respond here at Mount Sinai and to the giving of the Ten Commandments. God says, I wish that they were like this more often. I wish that their hearts were like this all the time. And so what that means is as we uh, read, as we study Israel's response, it is a good example. It is a right and fitting response. And it is the way that we should respond to God. And so as, as knowing that as your context and thinking about how you would respond and how you have even now responded to God in your life, let's go ahead and read the text together in Exodus chapter 20. It says there, uh, beginning in verse uh, 18, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, 
Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, would you today help us to see your glory? Help us to see who you are and what you are like. Then help us to understand how we must respond to you. Oh, that we would have a heart like Israel did in this moment, Lord. God, I pray all of this through Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's, that's the scene again there. Sinai, a mag- magnificent display of power. Then God speaks and Israel responds in fear. And so this is the first thing I want to show you. Uh, from Israel's response at Sinai. Uh, And we'll have to really grasp this. If God's power is scary, the mountain, the smoke, the trumpets, his holiness is terrifying. Well, we'll see the effect of both of these attributes of God in the reaction of the people of Israel. God's power and God's holiness are put on display at Sinai, and God's power made them tremble, but God's holiness made them run in utter terror. Let me show you this. Um, Actually, in chapter 19, if you want to turn back, or it's up on the screen here. In chapter 19, uh, we see how Israel was originally responding to this magnificent display of power. It says there, verse 16 of of chapter 19, on the morning of the third day, There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And so what we see is in chapter 19, when, when the, the mountain is enveloped in smoke and thunder and lightnings and, and fire and, and the, these trumpet blasts, they are trembling, but they take their stand. That's a specific Hebrew wording. It's they stood firm at the foot of the mountain. That's why it's worded uh, so kind of in a way we may not speak, but they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. They were scared, but they were standing there at the foot of the mountain. But let's see what happens, again, from what we just read, after God gives the Ten Commandments. It's again up on your screen, verse 22. Oh, sorry, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. Do you notice Something different there. In chapter 19, when it is the mountain, again, this magnificent display of God's awesome power. I mean, nothing like this had been seen before. A magnificent display of God's awesome power. They were trembling, but they took their stand. But then we see in verse 18, they stood far off. They stood far off. I mean, that's significant that they were standing at the foot of the mountain. And now, after this, this exchange, they stood far off. What that means is they could no longer take their stand at the foot of the mountain before God. They were standing firm when it was just an awesome display of power. But now they have run in utter terror. So what changed? What is different here? Well, Exodus 20, 22 gives us a big clue about what changed. God says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. The the power was there the whole time they stood before Sinai. But what made the Israelites turn and run for their lives was God speaking to them. And more than that, it is what he spoke to them. And that is, of course, the Ten Commandments. That's the only thing that has changed since they took their stand to standing far off because they fled for their lives. 
what began as trembling has turned into terror. Now, why did God speaking the Ten Commandments have such a terrifying effect on the Israelites? Well, we we have talked about this some in the past, but I want to make it very clear now. The Ten Commandments were absolutely uh, marching orders for the Israelites. It is the way that they were to live their lives, their responsibility before God. But it was not only that. The Ten Commandments revealed the nature of God. The Ten Commandments revealed the nature of God. The laws that were given by God reveal the nature of the law giver. And so God himself is the standard of these commands. And he is the reason these commands exist rather than just saying, oh, do whatever you please. It is because of God's awesome holiness that he gives these commands. And I I use that word holiness. I I want to explain a little bit. Um, Holiness, just the most literal meaning, is, is, is set apart from what is common, different from the full, different than from, from what is normal. But it also carries uh, biblically moral overtones, very strong moral overtones. And God is perfect in holiness and that he is perfectly righteous. What he does is always right and fitting and correct and good and beautiful. And so God is the epitome of holiness. He is set apart from the rest. And God is perfect. And we can see this uh, even in the Ten Commandments. Uh, I'll just try to do this kind of quickly, but uh, the first command is have no gods before me. Well, God has no gods before himself. The fact that God gives the command, have no other gods before me, means I, Yahweh God, am the most valuable reality in all the universe. There is nothing that compares to me, so don't bring anything in competition with me. I am holy. There is none like me, therefore have no other gods before me. Second, uh, make no idols, no graven images. And, And we see that God is not to be lessened. God certainly does not lessen or belittle himself. And that's kind of the idea of of that second command is don't make graven images of me. Don't turn the creator down to the size of creation. Again, this is revealing the holiness of God. You cannot contain me, Israelites. You can't put me on your shrine or your altar. I am God, very God. By the way, I love um, in verse 22, Um, God didn't say how I spoke to you from the mountain. We say God's presence came down, but it actually says in in verse 22, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. That's the idea that, yes, you see my presence here, but I am in the heavens. I fill the heavens. This little speck called creation, (laughs) millions and billions of light years in expanse is nothing compared to, to me, I am God. Don't bring me down to the size of creation. I am holy. We see uh, the, the, the third command. Do not carry the Lord's name in vain. And certainly there is, again, this holiness aspect of God that he is so awesome. He is so glorious. He is so valuable that we dare not carry his name in vain. We do not carry him as though he is trivial, as though he is trite. God is awesome and almighty and glorious, infinite in all of these things. We do not carry his name in vain. It's revealing the holiness of God. We see uh, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. You know why the Sabbath existed? Because God took a Sabbath. I don't know about you, but the whole world schedule does not revolve around what I have done. God creates the world in six days and says, I'm going to rest on the seventh. 
Now, everyone for the rest of history, you need to do the same because I am God. I am holy. I set the times. I set the seasons. I set your limits, your needs. I am God. We see, uh, again, the next commandment, honor your father and mother. God, we, we talked about this when we, when we preached it, honoring our, our father and mother is actually more about honoring God than honoring our father and mother. We, we honor our father and mother in honor of God, for the sake of God, because God has built the, the family construct. God has placed our parents in authority over us, and good or bad authority, God calls us to honor our father and mother in honor of him, because he is so glorious. We see uh, next, <clears throat> do not commit murder. The idea there is God is saying, you are mere mortals. You do not have the right to give or to take human life at your whims and fancies. I, God alone, carry that right, carry that responsibility. I am God. I, I'll kind of try to keep moving here. Uh, do not commit adultery. This is reflective of God, when God says something, when God makes a promise, when God enters a covenant, he keeps it. God is unchanging, unshifting, unmoving. God is faithful. Therefore, we created in his image, we, his people, are to reflect his perfect faithfulness. Therefore, adultery is not an option. See, I'm losing my place here. Steal, thank you. Do not steal. We, we, again, we spoke about this. God has never stolen from anyone. All God has ever done is give life and breath and everything. God gives. Again, this is a reflection of God's holiness, his otherness. There is nothing in God's league. We do not steal because God is not a thief. God is generous. Therefore, we are to be generous. God does not lie. I love this. God is the truth. There is no truth apart from God. God is utter reality. God is truth. Therefore, we are not to lie against the truth, to bear false witness against the truth. God is truth. Therefore, we must not lie. And covetousness is unthinkable. To desire something to satisfy our needs, to desire something that will finally make us happy when this perfect, holy God, awesome God, glorious God exists is unthinkable in light of the Ten Commandments. In addition to God's holiness, I should just mention this, God's justice is also revealed in the Ten Commandments. Four times God gives either straight, straight uh, explicit warnings of what will happen, or, or at least implicit warnings um, of what will happen if they do not obey these commands. And so this is where, where we're going here. I'll, I'll kind of try to bring this all together. God reveals that I am not just some God. I'm certainly not a man like you. I am not just some God. I am utterly holy and awesome and mighty and, and perfect and valuable. I am supreme and you will obey me. You will love me. You will serve me. And this is when the Israelites tuck their tails and run for life. When they were comparing themselves with one another, not so bad. We do this, don't we? I, I know I've got some issues, but at least I'm not like that guy. Yeah, I, I may lie some, but at least it's not like these big, you know, corporate fraud. I'm, at least I'm not doing that. My stuff's small. I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good. You know what the problem with that logic is? Everyone looks better compared to someone. 
at least I'm not like Hitler. Well, congratulations. Your mother must be so proud. I mean, this is the problem with comparing ourselves with one another. But what happened What happened at Sinai is they could no longer compare themselves with one another. No one was looking at each other. They're looking at God. They're looking at the mountain. They're they're seeing with the eyes of their hearts the character and glory and holiness of God. And at that moment, they are broken. It is before the backdrop of God's awesome, perfect holiness that they are entirely crushed. They see their own sinfulness as ugly as it really is, as repulsive as it really is to this God they are standing before. And so they turn and run. I want to remind you, this this wasn't cowardly. This was worship. (laughs) This was actually a correct response. God, again, commends Israel for the way they responded to this display of his power and his holiness and his justice. And so we we don't want to stay here, but I got to ask you, has this happened to you? Have, Have you ever trembled before God? Or are you still stuck comparing yourselves with other people? I mean, I, I truly remember most of my growing up, my life was just comparing myself with other people. I'm pretty good because I don't do these things like those other people do. And I always kept myself like purposefully under what, what these other bad people were doing. In fact, I surrounded myself with other bad people and I looked pretty good in comparison to them. I, I, I praise God for this, but I, I remember um, most of you know I had my motorcycle accident that uh, left me scarred for life in many ways and I, I was depressed and so I turned to alcohol. I turned to partying. I turned to all sorts of sinful pleasure and, and all of a sudden I had joined those bad people. All of a sudden, I, I finally re- you know, recognized, oh no, I am a wretched sinner before God. I mean, I, I really do remember I was completely undone. I was terrified. I was horrified. My friends would be over. I was living in a house with some of my friends and they'd be over in the next room partying and I'd be sitting in my room. I'd pull out my Bible. I just didn't know what to do. I was terrified. Of this God. Have you seen the power of God that causes you to tremble? I'll just tell you, creation should do that. Uh, Romans 1.20, his, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. If you have looked at creation, if you have felt creation, you have seen the power of God. Have you felt the immense heat of the sun, that burning ball millions of miles away? Have you felt the, 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 the power, the, the pressure of a storm falling down, the, the lightning, the thunder? Have you seen the swelling waves of the ocean and, and your heart just drops? Probably you haven't been out, maybe in a movie you've seen some of that. This is all but a small reflection. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. All of us, all of us have been privy to the power of God. All of us, God has revealed it to us. Therefore, we are without excuse if we don't tremble before God. What about God's holiness? I just kind of went through how God's commands reveal his holiness, that the commands are based on him as the standard, his value, his authority, his perfect morality. But I also think of another way you can see the holiness of God is actually in this broken world that we live in. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And it goes on to show how the, the, the curse and all these different things that are upon us. And so anytime you feel uh, pain instead of pleasure, anytime you feel anxiety instead of calm, anytime you have a bitter moment, see a wicked act, every decay of, of, of creation and human culture, that is God's righteous response to our sinfulness. Your pain, both physical, emotional, mental pain, is to reveal the holiness of God. That is God's reaction to being sinned against because he is so holy and so righteous and so just. It is but a picture of the justice that is to come, but it is a picture nonetheless. And so I, I ask you, if, if you've never felt the weight of the terror of God, you, you need to open your Bible. You need to meditate on God's word and see his glory. You need to see yourself in the reflection of God's word. You need to see your darkness against his pure light. Because if you have never felt this kind of terror, I'm not, again, we don't have to stay here forever in our lives. That's not the goal. But if you've never felt this sort of terror before God, you have not yet seen God and you do not yet know yourself. You do not yet know how sinful you are and you do not yet know how holy God is. All right. Oh, by the way, I do want to mention this because this puts a sour taste in our mouth. It does for me. I say, this God who, who strikes terror in our hearts, let me just say this very clearly. It's not God's fault that God is terrifying to us. There was a day, exactly two chapters of it in our Bibles, there was a day that God's power was on display, his holiness was on display, and Adam and Eve were in awe. They were filled with affection towards this God. They found great delight and pleasure and safety in his presence. But then what happened? They, they, they ate uh, Genesis 3, 6. They, they uh, sinned against God. Then verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he, Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. This is when it happened. God's holiness and God's power are beautiful attributes. Like beautiful just isn't a strong enough word. I need to invent a new word his holiness and his power are, are there and they are, they are beautiful, they are perfect, they are lovely, they are right, they are fitting. But it is because of us, our sin, our unholiness, our unfittingness that God should now be terrifying to us. I just want to make sure we understand that. I don't want to paint a wrong picture of God in your minds. These are beautiful attributes of God. But to sinners, they should be terrifying. But this leads us to the second thing, because if you stay there, if you stay in terror, if you keep running from God, number one, you won't get away from God and it will not go well for you. So here's the second thing we see. Relationship with God requires a mediator. Relationship with God, a holy God, with humans who are unholy, who are sinful, requires a mediator. And this, we will see, is the pattern of Scripture from cover to cover that unholy mankind needs a mediator. And we see it quite possibly, most clearly, at least in the Old Testament, here in Moses. And we see that, of course, in, in uh, verse 19 of chapter 20. And they, the Israelites said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. 
So verse 22, God said, you've seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. And now they're saying, Moses, we've got an idea. How about you speak to us and we'll listen. Don't, don't let God speak to us anymore. Because we know that if we stand before God, we will be consumed. God talks with you, Moses. We already know he talks with you. He's been doing that. He's been using you as a mediator. Now God didn't use a mediator. And we know that this will not turn out for our good. And remember, again, God says they have spoken rightly. They rightly recognize they need a mediator. This is explained again more in Deuteronomy uh, 5.27. This is, again, this is just rewording what they said. It actually gives a little more information than we get in Exodus 20. This is, this is what the Israelites said here. Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. Israel rightly recognizes that they cannot stand before God and not be consumed. But instead of continuing to run away from God, which again accomplishes nothing, they actually turn to the mediator God had provided. I mean, they're you know, saying, you be our mediator, but God had already appointed Moses as their, as their mediator. This had already been going on. All they are doing is recognizing what God had provided, this mediator God had provided. I think, I think there are people, I, I, I don't know how to, how to categorize it sometimes, just deluded, again, don't understand the holiness of God, don't understand their own sinfulness. And, and I have these conversations as, I'm, as I try to share the gospel and, and I talk about it and they say, but Jeff, I, I pray to God every day. I, I talk to him all the time and it's the same God that, that you talk to and, and love. And I say, yeah, but what about Jesus? And they say, I, I don't think I need Jesus. Th that is a fatal mistake. Again, cover to cover in the Bible, there is no, hey, just come to God as you are. I, I know we have that song, <laughs> just as I am, but it is, you come to Jesus the mediator, just as you are. And you know what he does? He represents you before God. This was actually promised to Moses, uh, by the way. Again, Deuteronomy, just, just before they're uh, going to enter the promised land, Moses is going to stop being their mediator. Um, and, and so we see uh, verse 15, Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God, Moses says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Then verse 18, God says this part, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Moses knew that Jesus was the true mediator. We need to understand that Moses was a great mediator. And I want to explain, Moses was a great mediator. He does go right back into the thick cloud to hear all that God has to say. And he does bring back the report. And then when, when Israel has complaints against God, which is, it's silly, I get it. But Moses would go represent Israel before God. And when Israel would sin grossly, Moses would go intercede on their behalf. God, please blot me out instead of punish them. I mean, this is what Moses would do. He was a great intercessor, but I got to tell you, he was only a shadow of the substance, which is Jesus Christ. Hebrews, by the way, I, I love this. I had too much fun studying uh, this, this subject this week, studying this passage that I, I didn't do as good of a job compiling it for you as I do sometimes. But I wanna show you one of the things that I found is that the book of Hebrews, this is one of the main burdens of the entire book of Hebrews is to show that Moses is the mediator that we need. So Hebrews is a New Testament book written after Jesus 
Um, and so here's how it starts. This is the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. What, what is that? Spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That, that's a mediator, right? But, verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He is the mediator. So that's, that's Hebrews 1. Chapter 2 tells us that Jesus, I'm not going to show you every verse, I'll just summarize. Chapter 2 tells us that Jesus took on flesh and blood so that he could become our human and divine mediator. I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy for a second. Is that the right one? Anyway, verse 15, the, the top one there. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. This mediator had to be a human in order to represent humans. But in Jesus, it's God the Son, he is perfectly able to represent God. And he's perfectly able to represent humans. That's the, what chapter 2 uh, of Hebrews is telling us. Hebrews 3 literally tells us that uh, Jesus is a better mediator than Moses. As much as the builder of a house is greater than the house itself, so Jesus is a greater mediator than Moses. That's, that's Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, Jesus uh, chapter 4, Jesus is our perfect mediating high priest. Now get this, I, I, I love this. The, the priest, you had to wait outside right? Like in the Old Testament, the priest would go in specifically on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. He would go in and make a sacrifice for the people and he would, he would restore, however you want to think of it, the relationship between God and man. And so the priest would go in there and the glory of God would, would be there, but the people had to stay outside. But Jesus is the perfect great high priest. And what it actually says there, that with Jesus as our high priest, we can confidently enter before the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy in the time of need. That is a better mediator than any priest. He brings us in. He doesn't leave us on the outside. This is Jesus. And that's, again, Hebrews 4. Hebrews 5 tells us this, that instead of making a sacrifice for us as a mediator, he became the sacrifice for us as our mediator. God set up priests. We'll see this later. Aaron uh, and, and his offspring will be priests. They will act as mediators and they would make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, symbolic covering for sins. Jesus, again, was the substance of what all those other sacrifices were the shadow. He became the sacrifice. He took our sins upon himself and he was like a lamb slaughtered on that cross. God's wrath poured out upon him. Hebrews 6, <laughs> Jesus is our steadfast anchor for the soul behind the curtain. Again, that's the Holy of Holies. He is the one that keeps us as a steadfast anchor connected to God, no matter what storms this life may bring. That's the type of mediator he is. Hebrews 7 says that because Jesus has no beginning and no end, like Melchizedek it talks about, Melchizedek rather, uh, it says because he has no beginning and no end, he ever lives to make intercession for us. There will never be a day that Jesus will cease being your mediator. You don't have to be afraid that he will pass away like all the priests and all the prophets and all the kings who were mediators before. Jesus ever lives to make intercession. Hebrews 8, uh, Moses, you know, had the, the law on tablets and he brought those to the people of Israel, but Jesus writes the law on our hearts, the people that he is mediating this covenant for. Hebrews 9, Jesus cleanses our consciences that we might stand before God. I, I want to tie in Romans 8 as well. Therefore, we can cry, Abba, Father. <laughs> this is what Jesus does that no other mediator ever did. I feel like I need to stop going through Hebrews. Uh, 
Jesus is the perfect mediator. Jesus is the one who covers our sins, absorbs the wrath of God for our sake, intercedes continually for our sake, ever draws us to God. God's presence continually as the passageway of grace being poured into our lives. This is Jesus. He is that mediator. But I got to tell you this, and we got to make this very clear. A mediator only helps if embraced. Moses was of zero use to the people of Israel unless they embraced him as their mediator. And I, I tell you, Jesus is of no use to you unless you embrace him as your mediator. Again, people who say, I just don't think I need Jesus to come to God. The whole pattern of the Bible is that sinful, wretched sinners like us cannot approach God without a mediator. And Jesus is that mediator. But another common one that, again, I hear as I try to share the gospel with people is they, they'll say, oh, yeah, of course, I, I believe in God and I certainly believe in, in Jesus. And I'm just glad that I won't get punished for all this stuff I'm doing because Jesus died for my sins. I can continue to sin because I have Jesus. Let me again tell you, just as fatal as thinking you don't need Jesus is thinking you can have part of Jesus as your mediator. Jesus is not only Savior, he is also Lord, Master, King. Those are all functions of the way he mediates our relationship with God. If you do not trust in the mediator and obey the mediator, you do not get any blessing the mediator provides. Again, I, I see this in Exodus 20. Um, Uh-oh, I pushed a button. There we go. Exodus 20, uh, verse 20, Moses said to the people, so this is how he responds to them saying, we need you uh, as a mediator. He says, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Kind of looks like a contradiction, doesn't it? Do you, do you see the two words fear there? One says, do not fear. The other says, God did this so that you would fear him. Well, which is it, Moses? Well, here, here's what we see there. You got to recognize the, the whole flow here. They've just said, you speak to God and then, then speak to us. We want you to be our mediator. In that sense, Moses says, do not fear. I, I will stand in the gap. You, you don't have to flee from God anymore because I will mediate this relationship. I will intercede for you. I will take God's word and give it to you. But then he says the next part, that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Again, he's saying you don't need to fear God in the sense that you run away from him, but you certainly need to fear God in the sense that you do not continue to sin against him. God came in fire and smoke and lightning and thunder and trumpet blasts so that you would recognize his power. And God gave these 10 perfect holy commands that you would recognize his holiness. You really should fear him in a reverence and awe and respect sort of way as your divine authority but you don't have to fear because I will stand as your mediator. And this, again, is the same gospel we have that Jesus says, he says this, uh, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So anyone who says, yeah, I, I, I have your God, I have a relationship with God, but I don't, I don't need Jesus for it. I don't believe in Jesus. You can tell them, no, you don't. 
you do not have a relationship with God and you will fall under his wrath one day if you do not come through Jesus. Well, how do we come through Jesus? How do we fear not like Moses commanded? Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You can even <clears throat> think of that type of mediating connection. You have too hard a burden to carry, and that is your righteousness before God. You cannot be righteous enough before God. And so you're, you're, you're weary and heavy laden trying to produce this righteousness that will make you acceptable for before God. It will not work, but fear not. Come to me and I will give you rest. Well, if that's true, if Jesus just becomes our, our sin-bearing and righteousness-giving mediator, then can't we just go on sinning? Isn't that all it is to have Jesus as our mediator? Again, the words of Jesus. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So yes, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and you will no longer have to work for your righteousness, which would have been insufficient in, in the first place. But no, you can fear not, but come with me. And, and you are going to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross and you are going to have to follow me. I will not be your mediator from a distance. I will not be a mediator that is continually, purposefully dis disregarded and disobeyed. Jesus, again, is Savior, yes, but he is also Master. That's what it is for him to be our mediator. And I just want to say this too. You say, Oh, that's, that's just the words of Jesus. But what does God the Father say? I just like to throw this in here. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. <laughs> Listen, that's what God says. And Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll make you righteous before God. But Jesus also says, follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. I'm not only going to make you righteous before God, I'm going to lead you in righteousness before God. This is Jesus as our mediator. It does no good to have a mediator and to not embrace him. And friends, remember, God is no less powerful than he was 2000 years ago. You think God couldn't turn Lookout Mountain into a torch? Of course he can. He can make it burn brighter than Mount Sinai. You think God isn't still holy, that his commands are not still righteous and pure and just and still a reflection of his perfect holiness and glory? They are. It's the very same God. If you have never trembled before this God, terror before this God, then you do not yet know him. I invite you today to see God's word know your sinfulness before this holy God. You should be afraid. But don't stop there. Don't continue running from God. He has provided a mediator in the person, in the work, in the promises of Christ Jesus. He has already come and made the sacrifice. He is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Come to Jesus. Give him your sin. He will cleanse you. He will give you his righteousness. He will mediate your relationship with God. But please don't believe you can take him as your savior, but not as your master. This is a holy God. And to have a relationship with a holy God is to be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. We pursue it by his power, his holiness, why? Because we have a mediator. We are about to partake of communion here in just a moment. And I want to ready your hearts for what we're doing. And I want to set the communion uh, in, in the idea of this mediator. We have here the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, you know, pictured in these elements. 
and as we partake of them, that is the idea that it's a, it's a reminder that I am receiving, I am consuming, I am embracing this perfect, sin-bearing, soul-satisfying mediator. I am consuming him. I am embracing him. And so, I, again, I invite you, I urge you not to take communion lightly. It is a picture of the most beautiful and the most necessary reality in the world that there is a mediator in Christ Jesus and that we embrace him. Let's join in prayer now and then you can take a while praying and come get the elements at your leisure. Father God, we are again so thankful that though we suppress the truth, you are revealing your nature and your glory to us today. In creation, certainly, the heavens declare the glory of God, but even more so through your word, Lord. You are declaring your power and your holiness and your justice. And God, our hearts tremble before you. In fact, God, I pray that if anyone does not have that heart, that you would help their heart to tremble before you. But God, don't let us stay there. Help us to run to the mediator you have provided. Jesus, our sufficient savior, our great high priest. God, thank you so much that you desired to have a relationship with sinful humans. So you sent a perfect mediator in Christ Jesus. Lord, we are so thankful for that. But God, we do pray that because you are holy and because Jesus is mediating a holy relationship, that you would help us to pursue holiness in our lives. Knowing that Jesus is there ever making intercession for our many failures and blunders, but that he is also there giving us the power to put off sin and put on righteousness. Lord, as we partake of this communion, would you help us to embrace Christ Jesus and everything that he is as our mediator. Through his name, I pray these things. Amen. You can spend some time praying.